Hey everyone, welcome today to another ILTA podcast episode. Today we are between two firms with yours truly, Josh Moore. I'm here with some special guests at consulting technology firms. We're really going to dive in today about legal technology, some you know different topics that really haven't been discussed that much. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and let our guests today introduce themselves. Julie, maybe you should go first. Give us a little introduction, who you are, a little about where you're with. Sure. Thanks, Josh. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Julie Strachenheiber. I'm a global client director at Thomson Reuters, and I'm based in New York. Um, I've been with TR for almost 19 years now. It's a long time. An attorney by background, and I work in our global large law firm segment. So I work across the Thomson Reuters business um, for any solutions that a firm is interested in working with TR on uh, as the executive point of contact for, for those global large law firms. In the past, I was part of the Contract Express and HiQ teams. And I'm really excited to be part of the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. And then we also have Joe. Joe, why don't you give a couple minutes to introduce? Of course. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Josh and Julie. Great to hear from you. So I am Joe Rosinski. I'm a technologist and futurist. Uh, so what does that mean? It means I focus on emerging technology, specifically AI and blockchain. So I research, I code, I author blogs, and I speak globally about how cutting-edge technologies will impact people's lives, both personally and professionally, clearly within the legal tech as well as the fintech space. Um, so I've engaged with a large law audience as well as medium law, um, and I spend a lot of time with startups these days, um, which is fun because you have to hear about everything that's going on. Plus, I go outside the legal industry and sort of try to bring in new ideas. Um, two quick other things I just thought of. One is I just finished my three-year term at the ABA Center of Innovation, which I loved. And then uh, one cool, fun thing that I'm working on right now is that I'm going to Dubai to be a judge for the first ever AI film festival. And no pressure for me, but I'll be sitting alongside two Academy Award winners uh, in that process. So <laughs> that should be fun. All right. Well, be sure to look out for that film when it comes out then. <laughs> That'll be awesome. Wow. Well, great. Well, thanks again for having us both on. So we want to just kind of jump right in and talk a little high level around legal technology. Because, you know, a lot of our listeners, I mean, really probably all of them, have some sort of role in either a law firm, a corporate legal department, an attorney, paralegal, you know, IT support staff. And when you jump into the legal tech world, I mean, there is just so much out there. There are so many companies, so many softwares, so many AI legal tech startups too now. It's kind of difficult to know you know, what is right for the firm? So I just wanted to hear from you know, either one of you, as you've worked with these different firms, like, are there guiding principles or anything like that, that you've seen people follow and it's like, oh yeah, this is the solution we need, or this is what is going to solve our problems. I guess I'll go first, Joe. Sure, sure that yeah. sounds great. So, um, I, I work with firms and help them to make decisions on legal technology all the time, whether it's on the TR technology or just, you know, talking to people that I've gotten to know in the industry over the years. And certainly my my expertise is in law firms. But I think that the advice that I would give would would apply in other sectors as well. Um, I think when you're looking to select a legal technology, you should focus on a few things. So the first thing, of course, is 
is it a, from a provider that you can trust, right? And meaning, do they have parameters in place to make sure that what they're developing and what they're bringing to market is trustworthy, that's based on reliable content or reliable software services, et cetera? Um, I think you also want to ensure there's an openness right now in terms of are they willing to play nice in the sandbox with other technologies so that you can build an infrastructure that makes sense for you as an organization and so that it's open and able to connect in an easy way. Um, ethics and governance, are, I think, are going to become much more of a hot topic in the next few years if they're not already as it relates to things like AI. So going back to the trust pieces, making sure that there's a framework in place. How do they govern how they work with you? How do they govern um, internally? And lastly, I've been hearing a lot more from clients around ESG in general and what are providers, um, particularly the really large providers like Thomson Reuters that I work with, um, mm -hmm. what are they doing? What are they thinking about when it comes to ESG? Do they have a report on it? Are they thinking about things like server load? Are they thinking about you know, the good of the people that work there and the people that they service? So I think that that's something that you should factor in a little bit as well. And I think that that's something that will become a bigger um hot button topic as the uh, years go forward. Yes, those are those are great ideas, Julie, and I appreciate that, my goodness. So as a technologist, what I've always thought about is once you have your infrastructure, your cloud storage, your financial systems, the conflicts and all these fun tools down, I like to think about how you can to rethink this. Um, and I call it sort of gen everything. So generative everything. So moving, moving towards where everything is about to go. So there's a lot of companies out there that are sort of doing the bread and butter vendors uh, for most of the pieces that you're working on day to day. And those are going to be status, right? They're going to be status quo in terms of what you're going to work on. But what I'm trying to focus in on these days is having organizations be a little more open to new possibilities that they have not thought of before. Um, with increasingly larger numbers of open source tools that are available um, that can work in the same fashion as GTP4, but are focused on internal data completely. It's private, it's secure, it's scalable. You can leverage all of these things together in a new way that no one's ever been able to do before, which is absolutely fantastic. So it really helps people turn all of their internal data into more of a conversational um, interaction, such that you could have clients reach out anytime they wanted to and interact with a uh, conversational bot that really understands this more than it's ever done before, which is fantastic. And this will, I hate saying this because I know that there are large vendors that are that are probably going to be listening to this, but it does have a major impact on enterprise search as well as knowledge management systems too. And all this stuff, and this is where it changes, can be done very inexpensively uh, comparative to years in the past. So something to think about, just being more open uh, in the view of what's possible out there uh, with some of these open source tools. Yeah, that's a great point, open-mindedness too. And when I think of historically, I guess the legal world in general, it seems that we are more of the laggards when it comes to adopting technology. Like, let's wait till everybody else has taken it and then we'll move to the cloud or and then we'll adopt this. It does seem like, though, recently there's kind of been a little bit quicker momentum when it comes to maybe having your eyes open and seeing like, well, what else is there? Is there and can it really help us and jumping on board with it? Julia, I yeah, I agree. Um, I think that um, everything that you just said is on point. I, I think there was in the past maybe a wait and see approach. Let's see. Um, that all sounds great, but I don't want to be first. Um, you go first. Let me see how it how it 
pans out for you and for your clients. And I know for myself in the last year, I've had a lot more conversations that are, um, we know we need to be investing in certain tools because now our clients are demanding it of us as well. So I think that that's going to be a, a big shift for legal. I, I don't know that legal is going to you know move as fast as tech or other other industries, but I think there is an appetite now for more innovation, for more um, more exploration in new tools. Yeah, and I, I think along the same lines, I think like looking into the future uh, five years and saying, okay, what could we learn about going backwards in time? What could we do, especially when it, when it deals with AI? That is a wild one and one that uh, for better or worse, I've been tracking AI for the last 15 years back before it was even called AI. It was machine yeah. learning and, and we can thank, I guess, the movie Terminator for terming it AI, I believe. <laughs> but uh, the fringes have been wild to watch over the course of the last, I'd say, eight years when you had people saying this stuff is potentially going to take over. And I've always looked at that, kind of analyzed it and like, ah, that's a little on the outskirts of where we are and where we're going to go until this year. So this year I was at a conference at MIT and um, Jeffrey Henson, who is sort of the godfather of AI, had just left the night before, had left Google and he headed up the entire organization around AI. And he came out before the 300 of us in the audience and was like, I am so nervous about where AI is going that I want to sound the alarm bell for what is potential and what could happen. And it's wild to think about when we start looking at this and how it can impact the industry, the legal industry, because if we're looking at GPT-4, uh, I'm sorry, 5 and 6, that'll be a thousand times, a thousand times as powerful as where we are today. And now when we start thinking about that and how it applies to the legal industry, well, it's going to have some significant, significant impacts that people, I think, have to start wrapping their head around. And I'm not going to go down this path, do that offline if we want, but uh, there's a lot of things that will be impacted by this. Yeah, and that's a good thought, too. And it's something that I've thought of, too, and you kind of mentioned it with the AI, you know, down the road, looking back, right? we're going to see some significant changes really quickly, a lot quicker than, yeah, like 15 years ago when machine learning and they said, oh, this is it. This actually seems like this is it. And I don't know, Julie, have you seen anything similar at Thomson Reuters, at least when you're dealing with these large law firms and yeah, what they want know, from AI? I, you know, it's interesting when I think back on the start of my career um, versus now, um, the, the biggest the biggest similarity I would say was, you know, for, for people who were not used to the internet and were maybe shifting to the internet and had to kind of get over the, the trepidation around it. And I think that right now we're in sort of a similar spot. Although I think to Joe's point um, there, there's a lot more of upsetting the apple cart that could happen. I, I do think that AI is something that attorneys are going to have to embrace. They're going to have to use it to, and business professionals, it's not just limited, right, to attorneys in the field. They're going to have to use it to augment their practice, to augment the business of law. But I also think that there's opportunity for them to service clients in new ways, exciting ways, um, access to justice, for example. I think when you think about the pro bono arm of what firms are doing, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of automation. There's a lot of ways that the conversational AI can can work with underserved populations. And we started to see that over the last decade or so with using things like document automation and portals to give access, certainly in COVID, when we had to create new access to the courts for, for litigants, we saw that there. And now I think that there'll be opportunity for 
additional efficiencies. I also personally am really excited to see how, when we think about the next few years, how do we change the way that we train our lawyers? Uh, I think that there's opportunity for the AI to simulate uh, negotiation, litigation, and for partners and current associates who will be partners to start to think differently about the practice of law to meet the new generation of lawyers that are coming in where they'll be. That's awesome. I've often heard people say, you know, don't be afraid of AI. AI is not going to take your job, but you want to be afraid if you're not using AI in your job. That's when you might lose it. Because it seems like, yeah, the industry is moving and this tool can just, I mean, really, it seems at least what I've seen so far, and what we're doing at the documents is a lot of that mundane administrative manual work can just be totally streamlined and automated where, you know, summarizing a, a brief 20 seconds instead of some associate spending two hours, right? With those different efficiency gains, I'm curious, right? Five years from now, you're looking back. I mean, what do you think is going to replace that time then that people are not going to have to be doing this? I mean, is there anything you think? So, Josh, More I Netflix might... More Netflix I, I don't know. No, like... I know. So here's here's the thing, Josh. Like, uh, when I worked for a larger organization, I think I had to hold back a little bit on what I was thinking about in this space. And I actually think that we all, and I hate to say this, and I've been saying it in a bunch of talks recently with some of the larger law firms uh, in the world, and people are, are finally able to, uh, at the point of starting to understand, some will absolutely not until it happens. Sadly, people do have to worry. I think people do have to worry about jobs, stability, what they're going to be working on in five years' time. And I so I know that sounds ridiculous, especially if, if some people have not been um, sort of taken down the path, and I can take anybody down the path that they want to, to illustrate exactly what's about to happen. But it's significant. The tools that are out there will unfortunately replace not just in the legal world but in many different industries jobs and so <laughs> what is the outcome of that where do we go with that what do people do well things adjust but i don't think it, they're going to adjust as they have in the past with all the other technologies that we're like oh well new things will come up from that don't think that will be the case this time which is a bit of a conundrum but it's something we really have to deeply look at, especially the biggest companies, firms, whatever the case is, because it will 100% impact transactional practice, no question whatsoever, as well as some litigation components too. It's an interesting week to be having this conversation as well because of President Biden's executive order that just came out last week, which touches on a lot of this. And, you know, I think the regulatory landscape in the US versus the UK, it will be interesting to see how um, innovation is either um, stifled or pushed forward based on how the governments of the different you know, places in the world um, embrace or try to stifle what's about to happen. So uh, I encourage everybody to read the executive order. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, that's a great point too. And I know I've been at a few different conferences and you know, at a lot of the conferences, different members of firms are like, hey, we need to write an AI policy. Like we don't even know what to write. And a lot of them are worried about different regulations, like what's going to happen? Like, should we be using this? Should we not? Should we wait? So it is a little bit, yeah, up in the air. But, you know, Joe, to your point too, at the end of the day, we are trying to be efficient. And I've seen... You know, like when the car was invented, right? No more horse and buggy. Yeah. This technology, what's available, what's coming, yeah, it might replace a lot of what's out there. 
as we try to be more efficient. At the end of the day, I think a lot of the firms really do want to help their clients the best they can. If that's the best way to help their clients, why, why wouldn't they take it? Why wouldn't they roll with that technology? Which kind of then brings me to another point I had. I'm curious to hear from both of you on it. You know, there's a lot of technologies out there, a lot of startups too, especially in the AI space. I mean, as you've worked with different vendors or companies, are there any like character traits or personalities that firms can look at when deciding to go with, oh yeah, this legal tech startup, you know, this is the one I want. Or should we stay with the, the familiar technology that's been around a while, might not be on the innovative edge. Like, is there certain things about these vendors we should look for? Go ahead, Julie. Um, I think that it's good to, first of all, do your due diligence and talk to as many people as you can, right. To get the to diverse perspectives, diverse opportunities to see what's brewing in the market. I think that what people look at is, um, going back to what I said earlier, can you trust the, the data that's coming out of these organizations? Where do they get it? Is it clean data? Is it good data? Um, who is building it? What's being, in, what's being, um, what kind of uh, investment is being made into these technologies, whether it's from a longstanding uh, partner, whether it's from a newer partner? Is it, And I'm not just talking about capital, I'm talking about talent, um, who's, who's working on these different technologies. And that actually brings me to my main point, which is I think that ultimately when firms are looking at all of these different things and they factor in spend and they factor in technology and security and all the different parts that are important to decide about when you're when you're choosing who you want to partner with, I think the most important thing is it's going to go back to still the people. I think that if you are partnering with someone who you're uncomfortable with at the organization, if you are if you don't have a customer support function that can help you to be creative, to collaborate with you, so that it's not a vendor giving you you know a product, but it's really a partner who's helping you to, as Joe said, to think differently and to dream big. Um, I think that that's really what people are looking for right now is, is someone, Amelia, a someone who, who can be that partner. Yeah. I really like those thoughts. Um, I would say since Julie took the, the positive one, I mean, it's twisted a little bit and say, maybe not to partner with or things to think about a little bit um, as all of us approach companies, large and small about things. And one is um, uh, hubris. So uh, yeah. So hubris. So that's like the idea, and I think this goes back to the tale, I'm going back to like eighth or ninth grade um, from Ovid's Metamorphosis, talking about Icarus flying too close to the sun, right? So the idea that he was feeling really good on those wax wings, he was getting closer and closer to the sun. He's like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to be a, a most amazing thing in the world. And then, of course, the, the sun melted his wax wings and he fell into the Aegean Sea, I believe. Um, so after... <laughs> That's a lot to say, but over the last several years, I've been speaking and advising a lot on on OpenAI, believe it or all things, um, citing GPT-2 and, and Dolly, which is sort of the generative art component. And there are companies that I've worked with that I illustrated that as the example. I said, you know, Dolly 2 was out and it was the most amazing thing. You basically, you put text in, prompt text in. This is before ChatGPT came out, right? You put these prompts in and it produces the most amazing artwork you'll ever see in the world. So I use that as an analogy and I said, the legal industry has to change. It has to change. We uh, have to work in a different direction on this. And so one of one of the talks that I did prior to uh, ChatGPT coming out was I did a talk in front of like, I don't know, it must've been like the legal president, the product vice president of this company, um, all of their marketing, as well as their sales organization. I said, 
This is something that will transform the way that things are done going forward. And, uh, you know, I always understand and respect people with differences of opinion and thoughts and philosophy, but I think that it's important that people open their eyes to what is happening and listen to various parts of the organization that, that a lot of companies have, which do investigate these areas mm -hmm. and such that they don't miss the ball, so to speak, as it comes down down the uh, down the road, so to speak. So yeah, it's fun. It's interesting to see. So look for characteristics of, I guess, openness, thoughtfulness, but that the organization, big or small, interacts with people and knows that they can trust and investigate new areas that they haven't even thought about and, and take off sort of the blinders. Because in this industry, last thing I'll say is ultra conservative approaches are mm -hmm. typically going to be the death knell of uh, organizations and, and will hurt customers. Okay. That is awesome. And, you know, I want to end, I know I think we're at time, but I want to end with, you know, one final thought I had, I'd love to hear both your perspectives on it. You know, imagine I'm a CIO, I'm someone at a firm, an attorney, support staff. I want to know like, what should, what's one thing I could do today to make sure that we're not being too conservative, that we're on that cutting edge. Is there any like one thing someone could do to make sure that they are ahead of the curve, so to speak? Yeah, I'll, I'll, go ahead. I'll jump in real quick. I think you need someone at the organization, someone trusted the organization that is aware of what's happening outside of the legal industry. There is so much happening that happens in the surrounding worlds of all sorts of industries. And if they're able to pull into that, uh, those ideas, philosophies, um, thoughts, technologies, they're going to learn so much more and be able to impart that into, into the industry itself. I think that's important. So be aware of those types of things. And I would say education. So particularly for attorneys in in attorneys who maybe in the past have not been educated on what are the technologies that are out there, you could just go online and take a quick LinkedIn course and upskill yourself on what are the terminologies of things that I don't understand. It's going to help you to better serve your client. To your point, it's going to help you to be less conservative as a firm because you're going to understand the technology and you're not going to feel reticent when you hear these new words around technology that are coming out there. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Joe, Julie, for being able to be on the podcast. It's been great talking to you. Some awesome things. I'm sure if anyone listening wants to reach out, we will have their contact info listed somewhere. So I'm going to just pitch that on their behalf. <laughs> I'm sure they won't Sounds mind. All well, right. everyone, take care. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Julie. Yep. Thanks. Take care.